Please stand as you're able for today's New Testament reading. It comes from the book of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe because of the works themselves. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God indeed. Uh, it's a blessing to get to be with each of you this morning. We want to thank the Na Nashville Flute Choir for being here with us this morning, directed by uh, Beth Davis. And so it is such a blessing to get to be with you all in worship this morning. It's a blessing to get to fill in the pulpit this morning while Dr. Chapel is away and in travel. I know that he appreciates your, pra your prayers as he travels, and I am also sure that he is praying for us this morning. I want to take just a quick moment to, uh, of privilege to introduce you to our Director of Student Ministry. Uh, after much searching, prayer, and conversation, Bryant Fisher is joining us. Uh, Brian, I think, is sitting right over there in the back. Brian, if you don't mind standing up just real quick so everybody can see who you are, I know that you will want to welcome him. Bryant comes to us from Martin First United Methodist, where he has been serving for the past six and a half years. Um, Bryant and his wife Amy have two children, Ella and Jack. They have already found their way around the narthex out there and have been running about, and we love to see that. Bryant, thank you for answering the call to come and join us here at BUMC. I know that y'all will want to greet and welcome Bryant uh, as he gets situated here at BUMC. Today we find ourselves in the back end of a series titled Life Verses, a series in which we are taking a look at a few verses that many of us would say have helped shape who we are, words that have been our morning rally, rally cry in both good times and in the most difficult of times. Words that have provided comfort and words that call us into action in the world and in the kingdom of God. 
We've gotten to take a look at several amazing verses over the past few weeks. However, for whatever reason, this verse, this passage, spoke to the inner youth minister in me this week. Brian, I know you already know this, but there are really only two types of students that you work with in student ministry and probably teaching for that matter. Those that you can trust and those that you can trust without the shadow of a doubt will end up doing something no good when you leave the room. I remember several years ago being on a trip with many youth down to the Gulf Coast. It was a sunshine choir tour, and we were yet to make it to the halfway mark of the trip. We were staying at a university, and there was a group of boys staying just down the hall from James and I that we dearly loved, but most certainly fell into the category of trusting that they could be up to no good. I had checked in on the group several times and had several conversations about our expectations, but eventually youth won out, and I fell asleep. I woke several hours later to some slight commotion down the hall. I knew I needed to investigate, so slowly I put on my glasses and made my way down the hall. It's always shocking to me that when teenagers hear somebody coming and they're doing something they're not supposed to do, they're pretty sure that they can fly under the radar by simply shh-ing everybody. I approached the room and heard the typical shh-shh. I waited a moment. And always in that moment, you think you know what you're going to see behind the door. But I was wrong. I pushed open the door to to find five teenage boys splashing around in a six-foot-by-six-foot inflatable baby pool filled to the brim. I stared for a while. And after the game of Marco Polo stopped, I had one simple question. How are you going to get the water out of there? to which their blank faces told me they had not considered in the slightest the removal of the water from the second floor dorm room. It seemed in that moment that my evening pep talk of what to do and what not to do had been lacking. Now, in their defense, I in no way mentioned pools on the do not list. (laughs) We find ourselves this morning in a passage in which Jesus is sitting down with his students, his followers, And he's saying, I'm about to leave, and I want you to know how I expect you to act when I leave. Jesus is huddling up the group for a speech right before the fourth quarter. He's giving a word of comfort to those sensing a season of difficulty around the corner. He's sharing with them his hopes for their future, and ultimately for our future. At this point in John's gospel, we are nearly midway through Jesus' farewell discourse. Jesus' journey to the cross and his parting words. Jesus has been giving hints and subtle instruction throughout his time with the disciples, but now he's starting to really lay it out there. He is soon going to be gone, and he does not want to leave without giving some final instructions for those who have left everything to follow in his footsteps. It seems important to note here that in the passage that immediately precedes our passage this morning, Jesus had washed the disciples' feet, given them a new commandment, and predicted Peter's denial. The disciples are on high alert, and they are likely sitting in a place of anxiety. Jesus starts with words that perhaps the disciples feel are easier said than done. Don't be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Jesus wants to speak directly to the disciples' fear of facing evil in his absence. 
Jesus wants to speak into them the belonging that they have in the kingdom, even in his absence, because he knows that the world will tell them they don't belong. Jesus seems less concerned with their sadness of losing their leader in this moment and more concerned about instilling in them a steadfast readiness to press onward, to make sure that they know what he has started is not ending, but rather expanding. Don't be troubled. You believe in God and you believe in me. The path I've set before you is not to be abandoned. Trust that I have led you well so far. Jesus moves on now to a promise. There is plenty of room for you in my Father's home. I'm getting a room ready for you because soon I am going to come and get you and you can live where I am with my Father. At this point, you have to imagine that the disciples are eagerly awaiting their future. They have now been promised. They're likely grinning ear to ear with excitement. And then Jesus does what Jesus does and says his next line. You already know the way. Here's that the disciples, excited about their safety and security, that they assume that they will have in their set-apart living arrangements with Jesus, yet Jesus throws in a wrinkle. The disciples had to think that a part of Jesus' job was to confuse them. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus begin to teach them, only to have them seemingly respond continuously with confusion. And we see that this morning. The disciples sit getting instruction, being provided encouragement, receiving a word of promise for the future in unison with their teacher and their God in God's house. And then Jesus says, you already know how to get there. Immediately, Thomas calls for a timeout. Jesus, we have no idea where you're going. And on top of that, how do you expect us to know the road to get there? Now, some theologians have come up with a highly technical and somewhat biblical term for Thomas, who they lovingly call the Eeyore of the fourth gospel. My eyes are open, but my mind is asleep, says Eeyore, friend of Winnie the Pooh. And Thomas and the disciples feel the same. Thomas does point out what likely several of the disciples are thinking. Jesus, we hear you and we are encouraged by the words that you have said, but if you think we know the way to get to the place that you have prepared for us, for the promise that we have by being your followers, you are mistaken. Because without you, we are going to be lost. We don't know the way. Now, I don't know about you, and Carlisle might disagree with me, but I rarely get lost. However, on the very rare occasion that I have been lost, it's not a great feeling. I remember getting separated from my grandmother one time in a Walmart at a young age. I searched for about 13 seconds, and after concluding I had been lost forever, I went to the front counter to inform the employee that I was lost. When they asked me the name of the family member to page, I promptly said, Grandmother. <laughs> I soon had a lineup of about six grandmothers to pick from. The disciples are sitting with Jesus and anticipating being lost without their teacher, their leader, and their friend. They have left everything and now they worry they are about to have absolutely nothing. In the midst of their confusion, Jesus lays it all out for them and speaks into existence a life first that will change their life and changes ours today. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for through me. 
Jesus declares for the disciples in one quick statement what he has been living out in front of them. The way? It's not a destination. It's not a physical road you can find. It's living out your life in a way in which the desire of your heart aligns with the, de- the desire and heart of God. Jesus declares, you know the road, Thomas, because you have watched me walk it and live it. The truth and the life, in me you have, have seen the embodiment of what a life with God will look like. In Christ they have been shown that in knowing him they have arrived in the dwelling place of God. Because Jesus has been consumed with a life full of truth and love and grace. And in merely knowing him, the path, the way, has been made clear to them and to you and to me. It's important to notice something in Jesus' statement and in our life verse today. When Jesus answers the disciples' question about the clarification of their future, Jesus begins with a simple and yet profound statement. I am. Jesus speaks into the world the very real reality that whatever it is you are looking for, Jesus is standing ready to be the answer. This is in no way a new occurrence in the Gospel of John. John 6:35, you want bread? I am the living bread. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. John 8:12, you need light and darkness? I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you will never walk in darkness again. John 10, I am the good shepherd. John 11, I am the resurrection. You want the way, the path to live? I am the way. You want to live in truth? I am the truth. You want to live a life full of meaning and purpose that expands beyond your time here on creation and touches and transforms the lives of those you come in contact with? I am life in abundance. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am whatever it is you are searching for. I am the dwelling place in which you reside with the creator of our universe. There are two kinds of I am statements in John's telling of Jesus' life. One in which Jesus applies to himself the name God uttered before Moses at the burning bush, I am who I am. And one in which Jesus looks at his followers with a loving eye and says, I hope you know that whatever you are searching for to give your life meaning and purpose, I am that meaning and purpose. I embody living life as a beloved child of God that you are. Believe in me and know your great worth in the Father. Friends, I have no idea what might have brought you here this morning, what you might desire most in your life. In this moment, it might feel like something material might change everything, or perhaps a new job or a relationship. It might be healing or freedom or belonging and acceptance, but regardless of what it is, I assure you, Christ stands before us this morning desiring to be our great I am. Our connection to a life that is full of truth and abundant grace, and one that looks at each of us regardless of what might have brought us here this morning and calls us beloved. And in that life and in that grace, we live in the dwelling place of the living God. And maybe, just maybe, as we accept that ourselves, it will change us. And it'll change the way we live around others and change others. 
Now I could nearly end right there, but when studying this passage this week, I was drawn to something that I think many times I breezed right by. When reading this passage, most times it seems that we stop at verse 6. I know that I always have, but in studying this week, I think I might have been more moved by the second half and want to take just a moment to share that. It's okay, it's my kid. That, that was for the long pause. <laughs> Jesus, after informing the disciples who he is to them and to us today, throws a stumbling block in front of them. If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him. You have seen him. Philip takes over for Thomas at this time. Master, show us the father, then we will be content. We need to see the Father. We want to see the promise we have, asked Philip. If you just show us, then we will be content. We want to have all the answers laid out before us and see the proof. You and I know this is not the first time and won't be the last time that Jesus has asked for proof. Jesus, undaunted, weaves together one theme over the next four verses. Believe me. Believe in me and believe in the Father. Believe because of the life that I have lived for you. Jesus shifts the focus from revealing the unity between him and the Father to a question of action and acceptance from the disciples. You're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to have faith. Believe me. You have seen it lived out for you in flesh. Now believe in me as I have lived and taught you. Of course, later in the, in the chapter, Jesus would go on to promise the gift of the Holy Spirit that would be their guide on carrying on, the advocate that we have today as we strive to walk the same steps we watched him live. Last story. I officially said goodbye to nearly 17 years of student ministry this week. With the arrival of Bryant Fisher, I have completely transitioned to the discipleship director role now. I promise I'm trying my best to let it go and I've apologized already to Bryant. I, of course, have been reflecting a good bit over the previous months about the years of ministry that have shaped me and brought me to this place. As I moved offices, I spent time reading old letters written to me during a time in which I just hoped to one day be a youth minister. As seasons of life shift, I feel I am always on the lookout for moments that seem to sum things up nicely. And a few weeks ago, an Im image was captured that seemed to sum it all up for me. I was sitting in the front row right over there, watching our Sunshine Choir during their home concert. They had just spent a week spreading God's love while on tour, and were back here to lead worship for our congregation one evening. Carlisle, Jane Bradley, and I sat front row, taking in the beautiful noises. Somewhere in, somewhere in between snacking on goldfish and raisins, Jane Bradley stopped. She rested her head on the railing and became mesmerized by the sound of young voices singing about the love of God. I couldn't help but smile and reflect over the years I spent merely telling teens about the man that changed everything for me. I said a prayer for whoever might be her youth minister one day. I listened to the music some more, and then I said another quick prayer. Dear God, may she believe. May she have faith. 
Friends, this, is, this morning, this is the same prayer I say over us. It's the prayer Jesus was saying over his closest friends that day. May we have the same faith Jesus called the disciples to have. May we trust in our Savior, know our great worth, worth so great that a path led a man straight to a cross and provided a way for each of us. Worth so great that we know truth and life in abundance. It's not easy. You know that, and so do I. That's why I thank God that I get to live this faith thing out with each of you, and that the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised to the disciples dwells within each of us and in this very moment. May it be so in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.